You demanded him to come to the studio, and here he is, Matthew Steeples. Absolute smash hit with the viewers. And his links will be in the description box below the video if you want to go and click over to The Steeples Times. Not only is he a wealth of information on various true crime cases, some of the biggest in the world, including Maxwell, but he's a man on a mission. He is campaigning for various cases of gross injustice. And I watched at the behest of my parents yesterday and Ash, the guest booker, I watched the first two episodes of the Jeremy Bamber thing on Netflix. And I am going to be, I'm really perplexed as, as, why, to, as to why he's in prison, but we're going to get to that. So we're going to be talking about Maxwell, Stuart Lubbock, the Menendez brothers case, Mark Alexander case, Jeremy Mamba case, Luke Durbin's disappearance, and another absolutely massive one on this channel, the Madeline McCann case. Huge thank you for coming on today, Matthew. Well, thank you for inviting me here. And, um, pleasure to finally meet you. Um, it's been fascinating hearing from a lot of your viewers. Um, they're very um, interesting people who have varied opinions on these cases. I think with regard to Miss Maxwell, I think we've had some very interesting developments in the last few days. Hold on a sec. Matthew brought this which I'm going to give to my parents. Huge thank you for the wine. And I was commending him on his shoes. I've never seen any shoes quite like this um, as, as we walked in today. They are rather unique. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, they come from a friend of mine who, who is a good, a good supporter and of, of many of the causes I'm involved in. Um, anyway, I think but Miss Maxwell, um, I think she's, the person we should talk about there's first. been a lot in the last few days well well particularly you know the fact that she she now wants to have the trial delayed i think that's very interesting she wants an extra 90 days to consider the 214,000 images extra images what are all these images we are living in interesting times with her you know her brother is somebody who desperately tries to help her. You can't blame the guy. Wouldn't you do that for your sister? Real Ghislaine. You know, but you know, and it's well, well what is her name? <laughs> um, you know, is she called Janet Marshall? Is she called Mrs. Scott Ball Garrison? She's got <laughs> many different names. Uh, it's Ghislaine or it's Gislaine or it's Gillen. Or Gillen. Um, but um, we are moving into very interesting territory with her because the 12th of July approaches and the, the date of her trial, she needs just to accept that she has to get on with it. I think here is a woman who is delaying the inevitable. Um, she's tried three times. The 26th of April, she will try again to get yet another stay of execution but why why bother just get on with it 
Um, her lawyers are not achieving anything other than making her more disliked. Um, we've had the funeral of Prince Philip this week, and and Prince Andrew has still not faced the FBI. He hasn't faced anybody. Um, Prince Andrew deserved a period of mourning for his father, but now it's time he answers some questions. He probably never will. I don't believe anybody will ever force this man to go anywhere. Um, He's an admiral now, didn't you know? Well, he'd like to. He'd like to dress up as one, um, <laughs> <laughs> but he hasn't been able to do that. He was. He was quite rightly, uh, as with Prince Harry, who I have little respect for, but that's just a different matter. Um, these people are not above the law. Prince Andrew has got many questions to answer given the period of which keep talking um uh, miss maxwell's um uh uh activities has now been extended to further period um i would say it's ridiculous that he isn't forced to go and answer answer questions but as of this moment, I don't believe it will happen. Um, with regard to Miss Maxwell herself, um, after I spoke with you previously about what went on at her South Kensington home, I was visited by a national news channel. Um, they have another witness who has corroborated um, exactly what the person that spoke to me said. They won't name their witness and I won't name my witness because they don't wish, my witness does not wish to be named. She's an elderly person who lives abroad. Um, but they knew the name of the building from which the surveillance of Miss Maxwell was carried out. Um, if if it were indeed Miss Maxwell, but it was a they surveyed a house which was directly opposite, which was a home she then owned. Um, that suggests her activities began even earlier. What year was that? Uh, Nineteen ninety four. And they were surveying there because reports had come. And that in was that... nothing to do with the house in Belgravia. This is a house in South Kensington. And reports had come in that there was a brothel being run out of that one. There was a brothel run out of that house. So, therefore, her activities are very extensive. So, her denial and her claims of innocence look more and more spurious. So, you said there's been a slew of news recently, and it looks like the lawyers are pushing for 2022 for the trial date to be moved to. Well, she claims that she thinks that it's unfair to her that she has no access to the information. She's her computers don't work properly, and all of this. And um, this is a lady who's got a whole floor of a jail to herself. You know, you've been in jail. You didn't have a whole floor. You probably I wish. had. You probably had half a cell. Um, <laughs> Most people who are in prison do not have the privileges that this very wealthy woman who 
has tried to claim, oh, she's poor and poor her via her realgalane.com website, um, her 28 and a half million pounds of assets. Well, most people do not have access to that. Um, she has not been victimized. This is a woman who has access to reasonable facilities. She has two computers. I've never heard of a prisoner having two computers. Um, she moans about the water. I'm sure the water is awful. She's in prison. Um, you know, prisoners deserve to be treated with dignity. And, you know, I, I, I support several people who are in prison. A man called Mark Alexander, who we'll come to later. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not anti-prisoners. My friend is a, my friends are some people who support some brothers in California, which if you want to get closer to the American system, these two brothers are in the American prison system and they've been there and were treated very unfairly. And I campaigned along with other people to try and get them to be put in the same prison after 28 years apart. Prisoners do deserve to be treated fairly. But Miss Maxwell is a woman who has lived with privilege. She, like her father, has lived off the, the stolen money of pensioners. And where does her money come from? The first thing a Greek friend of mine said to me when I, when I said I was going to be coming on your program, she's a financier, very wealthy lady, connected with people who knew Miss Maxwell, was, why does nobody ask, where does Miss Maxwell's money come from? Why has nobody in the legal system said, how did you get 28 and a half million? You are the daughter of a con man, a thief. And you went to America, and suddenly you sit at a table with Jeffrey Epstein, a man who, as I've said to you before, was a taxi driver and a school teacher. And how and he ended up living in a 50 million pound house. Where does that make sense? These people's money, why has no one traced where is the money? It's where is the money is a very key question in this case, and no one is asking it. And it is time people questioned the legitimacy of Ghislaine, Mrs. Janet Marshall, Scott Borg, Mrs. Scott Borgaris, and whatever we want to call as money. Um, you know, all this charity to do with the oceans, another very odd thing. You know, when she was arrested. She was asked, where are you a citizen of? She said, I'm a citizen of Terramar. Well, how can she be a citizen of Terramar, a non-existent place? It, you know, she may as well be a citizen of the Game of Thrones. The woman is a fantasist. <laughs> and her arrogance knows no bounds. And it is time someone said, where is the money coming from? Where is the flow of money? Because this woman's money is, is not legitimate. And that is why this judge, Judge Nathan, quite rightly, probably has rejected her, really. Because what is this money? As her little PR man, Brian Basham, the man who played dirty tricks um, on Richard Branson, I'm not a fan of Richard Branson. That's another story. But, you know, um, 
Brian Basham came out with the fray, the comment recently. Uh, we have no idea what Jess Staley, he was the chief of Barclays, has got to do with Epstein. Staley is playing Pontius Pilate with my sister's life. Well, maybe Barclays Bank decided that Miss Maxwell's money was just dirty. Her money is filth, and she is a very, very odd person. Um, this week, Private Eye, um, you know, they published their very controversial cover with David Cameron digging a hole next to Prince Philip, which um, along inside which was a more interesting story, in my view. And that was a story about how Ghislaine transferred the property in 44 Kinnerton Street to an entity named Pluston LLP in 2017. She paid $1.3 million of her own money in 2016 to this property. That, that was probably to buy the freehold. She'd paid 290000 for the property, probably leasehold, 1997 in my view. And she then transferred it 2017 with a charge to the lender, Pluston LLP, which subsequently was registered to a resident agent, Mr. Scott Borgerison, or as the, or as private I'd say, aka Mr. Maxwell. <laughs> and he is now Mr. Maxwell. He is nobody other than that. Um he he is, you know, he's something to do with submarines as well, like her. And you know, the mirror got a bit carried away and said she disappeared once in a submarine. That's all nonsense. But um this couple have very, very curious, nefarious ways of moving money around. And I think that that is very, very relevant. So looking at the money then, we've got, is it Leon Black responsible for a quarter of Epstein's wealth, 150 million. And we've got Wexner giving Epstein the house. So we do know where some of the money has come from, or at but, least but, but, no, if they're but, intermediaries from something but else. Where did where did the five hundred million pounds of missing money from Captain Bob <laughs> Robert Maxwell <laughs> go to? Where did it go to? And why was Jeffrey Epstein at the memorial lunch for Robert Maxwell sat next to Mrs. Um, Scott Borgerison or? Ghislaine, whatever we wish to call her, um, she was there grinning in that photograph, 1991. Mm. That doesn't make sense. Um, that su suggests that Mr. Epstein had knowledge of her father prior to meeting her. Have you seen our interview with Ari Ben Manesh? I haven't. Former known. Israeli military intelligence. What, what, what is his view on this? He was part of the Iran-Contra scandal. He was incarcerated for it, but he beat it. And he had, he was like the go-to man for Maxwell with the Iran-Contra stuff. And he said that Robert Maxwell wanted to bring Epstein into the fold. But Ari ben Menashe said he didn't like Epstein and he wasn't um, shrewd or intelligent enough to be doing the, the dealings that they had in mind. I think he was just a, a middle man. He, he was somebody they found and he proved to be useful. You know, he, 
he was the taxi driver. You know, he was the person in the middle. Um, and before that, he was a teacher, and he was plainly quite a clever teacher. And the, the students liked him. The the customers, obviously, of the taxis liked him. And they brought this man in. And he drove the bus, effectively. And that's all he... I don't believe that he was the chief of this. I think... I think Miss Maxwell is more powerful than one could imagine. What about Maria Farmer's quote that Wexner was the head of the snake, referring to the honey trap operation, well, and that Wexner was Epstein and Maxwell's boss on the American? I think there would have been people higher up in this operation, yes. I, I don't know about the conspiracy theories of where this leads, but I would say no way are these two people the chiefs. They're the... They're not, the, they're, not the, the, they're not the organ grinders in this. Um, but I think Miss Maxwell has more to answer for than Jeffrey Epstein probably ever did. Because I think I'd, we, the, the public would like to know what happened aside from these poor victims in this particular case. What happened to the £500 million of pensioners' money that was stolen? And I think we have to go back again to what happened to the money. The money, the money's never been found. And Miss Maxwell has lived a life of luxury hanging around with her chum, Prince Andrew, and and the likes of Bill Clinton and hanging out at their weddings and Donald Trump and all these other people. Um and her the address book was not Jeffrey Epstein's address book. The address book is ultimately her address book. Um Every single person I know who's in that address book, and I know many of those people, um, have said to me, we didn't even know this man. We, we never even met him. She used those people. Now, some of those people are stupid. Some of those people probably did encounter them. I'm sure this Elon Musk... You know, he was there in a photograph. Piers Morgan was in a photograph. But that doesn't make them guilty of anything other than being in a photograph. You and I could be have a photograph taken now and somebody could say, oh, well, they must have been the best of friends. You know, and, and that is, we've only met for the first time today and I hope you become a good friend of mine. But, you know, that's, that is one thing. Um, the likes of Geordie Gregg, the editor of the Daily Mail, he's in many photographs and he's very friendly with her. And of course, now the Daily Mail have published, you know, things to help Mr. Basham's little campaign. And Mr. Basham has a very interesting history. Um, I don't think his power's that great. And it's, he's not going, it's not working very well. Um, he, he has sent via other third parties, I would assume, um, some very strange messages to me, um, suggesting I shut up. Um, I have had messages from people connected to the Maxwell family who've told me I am not to say any more because I am causing great upset to their sister. And I'm not going to do that. Um, I think that these poor ladies that were trafficked by this woman 
you know, they were, they were as young as 12 years. Um, you know, as Epstein said, as young as 12, but the younger the better, was the most recent quote in the last 24 hours that was revealed. Um, yes, I get some cranky people who write to me who are completely crazy and say things that I don't believe, but we have some really good people that both you and I know. Um, it's unbelievable. I never expected that I would end up quite as involved in this as I have been. But the more I become involved in it, the more I realize that the ultimate bad person in this is quite rightly on trial. And it is the biggest true crime case in the world right now. So there's so much at stake. And when an adult is accused of such heinous crimes against kids, it is very unlikely that the adult is going to elude justice. Because any jury in the right mind... Well, she faces 80 years in jail. She will never leave prison if she's convicted. Um, I think the woman is entitled to a fair trial. But I don't believe that anyone at the moment has treated her unfairly. I think she has done everything in her power to elude justice. She hid away in her, what was it called, tucked away her home? You know, she bought a house called Tucked Away. She just wants to stick her fingers up at everybody. <laughs> this woman is just like her dad. Her father was the most arrogant monster on the planet. I, I won't go into how I know much about him, but that's for another time. But he, he was a terrifying person. And everybody I know that knew him will say that that man was a monster. You know, he... he he invented names. What did she do? You know, her name when she went to look around, tucked away, was Janet Marshall. She has the same traits as her father. The arrogance of these people, they think they're above the law. Well, it doesn't work. And right now, Prince Andrew, whether he's innocent, guilty, whatever, he he won't he's not gonna come and support her. No one will support her. She is going to go down for what she did, and she deserves to, because there is there are there's two point what is it two point four million pages of evidence. There are what is it two hundred and ten thousand images. How do you get away from this? It's a lot of discovery. Yeah. So we had John Sweeney on who was behind the Hunting Ghislaine podcast. Yeah, I thought that was a fantastic series. He took a more, how shall I phrase it, um, the survivors and some of the viewers were upset with him. He took a more empathetic viewpoint of Ghislaine, saying that perhaps she was, her brain was distorted by her psychopathic father, and he was kind of giving that as a mitigating um, well, circumstance. I, having encountered many, several members of the family and individuals very close to them, I don't think there's any excuse. I think these people had privilege. They had everything in the world. They have reinvented themselves. Um, one of them married somebody who I knew in California, um, a family who 
created the birth control pill. Um, I met her when um, I had no knowledge that she was anything to do with Robert Maxwell. This woman ran an internet company, and I, in the time I knew that lady, she never talked about her father. She created a new life for herself. This one, Ghislaine Maxwell, has lived off the notoriety of her father, yet she's been able to associate with Harvey Weinstein, Prince Andrew, Woody Allen. Hello, all of these people. They've all got terrible history. They all seem to connect with terrible things that happen to young people. And I don't think there's any excuse for that. So you said, you know, you're not into the conspiracy theories. Putting the conspiracy theories aside, where is your theory where the money came from and what they were truly up to, Epstein and Maxwell and Waxman? I think that probably it's totally a theory. It's not a fact. I think that um, Mr. Maxwell, probably senior, Captain Bob, the bouncing check, whatever you want to call him, I think... Somehow he got some of that money to America and his daughter created a new life for herself with the help of other people. And it couldn't be in her name, so it had to be done by other people. And Jeffrey Epstein was one of them. I believe it's as simple as that. Why would Wexner get involved with these people? Because he's another social climber like them. They are a bunch of social climbing desperados in that sense they are just like harvey weinstein and i had dealings with harvey weinstein i was involved in a film with harvey weinstein many years ago um with a man i worked for at the time and harvey weinstein was a, a terrible social climber and that's why they were all at prince andrew's little party you know all these people they loved the social attention they wanted to be accepted because they came some a lot of those people came from the wrong side of the tracks and associating with people they thought were elite or aristocracy or royalty or whatever would give them legitimacy and it would help their business enterprises. And Mr. Wexner is probably such a person. I, I don't know Mr. Wexner. I've never ever met him. I, I can't really comment on Mr. Wexner himself, but I can see that the the type of person that I have encountered. And I, I've dealt with many of these people and they are generally desperate to be elevate themselves to being upset, accepted. They generally have some problem about something in their past that they want to put right by being involved with something they view to be respectable. Mr. Wexner has all sorts of issues as you yourself so um he it would suit him to have those people interesting psychoanalysis let's try this with prince andrew then so prince andrew had agreed that if he was ever his reputation was ever restored and his name was cleared he could go to the admiral level but then he just all of a sudden wanted to come back in out in the public using philip's funeral to be an admiral. What is going through his head? I mean, is this just pure arrogance? Is, um, is he Prince completely Andrew, out of touch with, with reality? Prince Andrew is somebody who has no 
conception of anything other than Prince, whatever Prince Andrew wishes to do. Prince Andrew is the most arrogant person. Um, I don't, I don't know him. I, I know, I know his wife, um, not well, but I have met her on, on many occasions. Um, she is particularly stupid. Um, let's be honest. I will finally say that. I, I may be cut off by several people for saying that right now. Um, but no, his wife, um, you know, she, she was the lady who came out with the comment when asked, have you repaid the money you took from Jeffrey Epstein? No comment. I would say the word comment is superfluous. Um, she, she is like a child. I'm sorry for her because she, she is a byproduct of the system that she became part of. And it's sad how she, she just doesn't know how to behave. Um, Prince Philip didn't really have much respect for her, as most people have said in the media. Um, but Prince Andrew is a different case. He has arrogance that knows no bounds. This is a man who just claims that, oh, I wasn't in that photograph. Well, that photograph, why has no one discredited it? I have a friend who works for a, a national newspaper a very big national, international newspaper, and that newspaper have rightly, repeatedly shared that picture. That picture has never been discredited. Other pictures have been shown to be nonsense, but that picture is not going away. He can say, I don't have chubby fingers. He can say, oh, I didn't go to the Pizza Express. The, the, the parents of the children who gave the party at the Pizza Express said, you know, he he wasn't at the Pizza Express. Sorry, he said he was at the Pizza Express. The, 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 child, the parents said he he wasn't here. Um, there were multiple people who saw him in the Tramp nightclub. You know, I've been in the Tramp nightclub. It's a small place, but um, you know, it's ridiculous the, the 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 stories he comes up with to try and justify his claims do not make sense. Repeatedly, again and again. And that is why he was told to withdraw from public life. And it's better he stays away from it. But the man is crazy, so he wants to come back. And now his father has died. Goodness knows what he will do next, because there is that's one filter gone. At least he has a vaguely sensible brother, in my view, who will probably put a stop to him. But... There is no reason for him to return to public life, but there is a reason that he should go and do the decent thing and answer the questions of the FBI and prove his innocence if he's truly an innocent man. There's a theory that what he's accused of is just a fraction of what he may have done. Do you think there's anything behind that? Um, I don't. I don't know about what else he may have done because I I don't but but I I hear many rumors of things that he's been accused of doing but he certainly had a lot of relationships with a lot of people whilst he was married and so did his wife so you know and she's been well she's been she's been humiliated whereas he hasn't um 
the media chose to humiliate her and not him. Um, it doesn't excuse whatever he may have done, but you know he was involved with some thoroughly abhorrent people. I'm, I'm not going to name want names other than one, which would be Lady Victoria Harvey, who I think is the most repugnant woman I've ever met. Um, you know, she's a racist and an appalling woman. Um, you know, she attacked the Black Lives Matter people last year, and she went on television and attacked the victims. And that I thought that was very wrong of her. But she's another one who's completely crackers. So um, he he is somebody who we're never going to know the truth about until much later. Um, so if you're raised in a household where status is everything, it's drilled into you, who curses to who, who sits where, who's the most senior, do you think that Andrew measures one of his measures of the meaning of life is status and, and the admiral thing was kind of a you know if i could pull this off i'm back um prince andrew likes to tell everybody who's in his presence and i have friends who spend time with him um that he's more important than they are he if you go to a golf course with him he he points out he he asks you you know questions about what's the best golf course in the world and this kind of question he he and it's whatever he, if you don't answer it the way he wants, he gets cross. He is a very arrogant person. He, he is the spoiled child. He was the favorite child. So he is able to get away with things as a child, but that doesn't mean as an adult, you should be able to get away with doing things that are abusive and illegal. And if he has been guilty of something illegal, he should answer for it. But at the moment, he, isn't prepared to answer the questions that are put to him voluntarily. So the best thing he could do, I think, if he is an innocent man, is to go willingly and answer the questions. And shouldn't he also just remain quiet away from the public view? The fact that he's, you know, pulled this admiral stunt shows that he's not in touch with reality, perhaps. Um well, I, as I said, I don't think the man has much, much comprehension of reality. He is, he is indulged wherever he goes. He gets what he wants wherever he goes. He's known for his temper. Um, he's, he is somebody who gets money out of all sorts. Of, as I, I think your um, guest Norman Baker said, you know, how how did he get things like this Sunning Hill Park deal where fifteen million pounds was paid for a house that nobody else would pay five million for? Um, people give him money because they just think he's useful, you know. And that's how his silly wife tripped herself up. News of the world, um, you know, the fake shake, all of this. Um, it's a sign of greed. I feel sorry for his poor daughters because I think they're actually perfectly decent, harmless people. And they they don't need to be victimized in all of this. It's not their fault. And I think people who attack the daughters, it's that's quite unfair. But I think um, Prince Andrew and his wife are both grasping people, and particularly her, because she took money from Epstein, and when asked if she'd paid it back, she refused to comment. And that sums them up. So the amount of money that has been published that she took from Epstein is like peanuts to these people do you think that's a, a code amount when really it was probably there was a few well, I zeros think they had benefits in other ways probably yes yeah 
Um, well, why would he be going to that house all the time? He didn't turn up for fun. He turned up because there was a reason to turn up, and there was something beneficial to him. He could have stayed in the embassy. He could have stayed in all manner of places. Why did he need to go and stay with Jeffrey Epstein just to end a friendship? You don't. If you're ending a friendship with someone, you say, the end, bye. You say, I don't want to ever speak to you again, and you slam the phone down, or you do it in a more graphic way. <laughs> but, you know, you don't, you don't end a friendship by going to stay with someone for a number of days and put yourself at risk of being photographed, which he did. So I've speculated all along that this trial will not happen, that Maxwell will sign a plea bargain, that in the interest of national security, she'll be told just to get on with your prison sentence. But because she's got this leverage of knowing what actually happened over very powerful people, um, she won't be allowed to name those names in court. And she will use that, though, to, to perhaps enhance her plea bargaining power to so that she will get some of her life back at some point, but she'll go away quietly in the meantime. Do you see any scenario like that playing out, or what are your own scenarios playing um, out? Well, I... I don't believe she will do that, but I believe I don't believe she will name any names. She may name somebody, but she won't name Prince Andrew. Um, I think this woman will, because of her arrogance, be forced into a trial because she believes she isn't going to be made to have one. She thinks she can delay and delay and delay, and well... Three times Judge Nathan has said no delay. And the fourth time, the 26th of April, there will be again said no delay. Because what new evidence can she produce to cause a delay? Um, she's had perfect chance to study all these documents. She's living you know, in a prison where she has access to more computers than you could possibly imagine. Her lawyers are supported by her very wealthy family who... Their means are, in my view, questionable, um, but but they have them. So, you know, when they come out with the the comments that oh, we cannot turn up to the trial because it's not we, we our diaries don't allow. Well, if they lived on a council estate, no one would give a damn. No one would say, oh well, you reschedule your diary. They would just say, get on with it. So all of this is rubbish. I think the trial will go ahead, but. Um, I don't think she will name certain names because she's so arrogant. She actually just will stand there and think she's going to get away with it. She's like her father. He was a fantasist. How many names did he have? He had at least seven. You know, this was a man who invented his past and he killed people. And they, they're monsters, these people. This is a horrible, horrible family. Um, I don't say all of them are horrible, but she has the traits of her father. She was the favorite child. Why did he, as John Sweeney said, why did he name the boat after her? And supposedly it made Kevin and Ian very upset when she the boat was named. But calling a boat, you know, Kevin probably isn't, you know, we're going on the Kevin. It's, you know, <laughs> it, it might not sound as good as Lady Ghislaine. You can't really call it the Lady oh. Kevin, can you? But um, When you say he killed people, who did he kill? He killed people in uh, in the resistance in 
when he was uh, in the army, he, he 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 shot people in certain villages. He they put the they put the white flag up, and he still killed them. He said, "I'll make an example." He that's commonly known. That's that's you know, the John Sweeney things and various books about him will confirm to you that he was he was not you know he was a merciless person and i think she got her 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 attitude from him and if you read the book by eleanor berry who is supposedly uh well she she's the daughter of a, another newspaper tycoon and she spent a lot of time with robert maxwell whether she was his lover or not is unknown she she may suggest one way or the other but they were very close to one another and her book talks about how there would be instruments of torture that would be put on a table if the children misbehaved and Ghislaine was allowed to choose which, whether she was hit with a whip or whether she was done with this or whatever for doing something wrong and this book goes into this and I think if you've grown up with a sadistic father like that it would create the thing that you became and it would explain why she treated these young people that she allegedly trafficked in such a similar way um there is plenty of explanation now now she is only an at the moment she is only an accused person and she she may well be proven innocent but but frankly the the past is a guide to the future and her her childhood was filled with such situations and her own father's childhood was he you know his own family were put into the gas chambers and he he feels he 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 was obviously affected by that but that that doesn't mean that, that it excuses what you do in the future now many people who are victims become uh, of such things become abusers but it doesn't mean it's right so the Maxwell legal team have requested the trial go to 2022. Has the judge um, ruled on that or indicated anything about that yet? Well, I think we're we're up to the date. The 26th of April is the key date. I think that's the date when the next decisions are made about this case. Um, I don't see how anything can change. Um, as you've said in your other um, videos I've seen, it doesn't really affect that she's got some extra things added because the perjury trial will be a separate trial. So she's had ample time to prepare, and therefore her argument is weak. It doesn't make sense. I don't. I don't see how it can change it. But that's up to Judge Nathan to decide. So what about the sweetheart deal then? In the last week, Judge Nathan has issued statements going against the um, protection of the sweetheart deal um well i think i think that the the, the future for all of these cases really is that i think it, it it's just it's just a delaying tactic for miss maxwell to try and stop anything she she's had an ample opportunity to research everything she's got her computers she's got access to more 
means than most people in her position. You know, when when you were on trial yourself, how many, how much evidence did you have access to? All right, so I had a complex case. It didn't go to trial. I signed a plea bargain, yep. and the lawyer said your discovery would fill like rooms. So I've just got to bring a computer to the visitation room, and you can access things through the computer. And she has computers full time, and she has two of them. So she claims that she's she's ill and she can't look at it and her hair's falling out and this website has been created again this is all part of this man Brian Basham's PR tactics and I think we have to come back to Brian Basham because he's very very important in all this Mr Basham ran the dirty tricks campaign against British Airways uh, for British Airways against Richard Branson Mr Basham is quite an elderly man now, but he has connections in certain parts of the press. So he has the likes of the Daily Express. You know, as my mother said in the lock, last lockdown, um, the only person that reads it's your granny. And my grandmother, my granny wanted the Daily Express, and my mother had to find a way of getting it to her in a remote village in Cumbria. And you know, and the, the news agent said nobody else buys this paper, and that sums up the Daily Express to me. But um, my grandmother wouldn't like it to hear that. But anyway, but it's true, and I've told it to, that, to her face. But anyway, so he's got the Daily Express. He's got the Daily Telegraph, which is another newspaper which is declining in sales. But you know, he has a few tame friends, and they put out a few stories. And that really wasn't working too well. So he created this web, they've created this website. And, you know, he is the spokesman. I don't know if he created the website himself, but he is he is the main person representing them. And he seems to run this get Ghislaine out campaign. And there are a number of right-wing people who have come to support it, who several of whom have targeted me in the last few days, which has been most curious um i won't name them because i don't think i deserve they don't deserve publicity when you say targeted you what do you mean oh they've threatened me directly oh yes i get i get many threats my website gets targeted um we get bombarded with messages isn't that evidence against them isn't that just stupidity to well i think that these people are just cranks that they employ they're not you can't that they, they, they are part of their entourage but of course i have screenshots of it all but and you know you've you've been targeted yourself by all sorts of odd people oh, over absolutely. the years it's, 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 and it's, you know uh, when endless. you deal with odd people the best thing is the best response is silence yes i don't reply to them and i won't be replying to them but um it is curious that i've touched a nerve with them um because Mr. Basham deserves to be highlighted because, you know, he, he brought in the likes of Richard and Judy. They're, now, they're an interesting pair. Um, Ms. Richard Maidley, you know, is a coronavirus denier. He's been accused of doing all sorts of things in his past. You know, everyone calls him the modern-day Dorian Gray. You know, he gets younger as she gets older. Um, and they... They were, they when they were part of this program this morning were very linked with certain people like Max Clifford, who brought on most of their guests, a man named Owen Oyston who went to prison for rape, um, 
And, you know, these people, are they seem to all be very linked to one another. Stuart Hall, all of these characters were part of that world. And they link with the Maxwell set. It's it's the same group of people, and they're a murky bunch. Um, I was very involved in exposing Rolf Harris long ago, um, and I was told at the time not to be involved in that. And again, it all connects to these people. But but why did Brian Basham, of the thirty six people that get the real Ghislaine campaign connects to straight away? be Richard and Judy. And these are people who are on the sideline now, but they're the kind of people that he operates with because he can't get the new people because he's a 77-year-old man. I think he's he's not quite as powerful as they expected. They've created this thing. They've got the Daily Express. They've got the Daily Telegraph. They've got the likes of Richard and Judy. Well, well it doesn't really make, it doesn't make them look better and when they put statements up on a website saying that um, Ghislaine reads books by Boris Johnson, it's it doesn't make them exactly in, her exactly endearing to the public. It's it's a very odd choice. I was wondering about that choice of books. Yeah, the choice of books was quite odd. Um, but I'd say Boris Johnson's particular, you know, a philandering man who's, you know, how many children does he have? How many mistresses does he have? Um, will, this, will he be getting married shortly? Which um, I wrote about the other day because there was a man from another publication who suggested the nation would be given cheer in the wake of Prince Philip's funeral if we had um, a wedding for Carrie and, Bro and Boris. You know, come on, Carrie, your nation needs you. I think most people would say we don't need any of this. And we certainly don't need any more of Miss Maxwell. So are you familiar, and what are your thoughts on the 7-4 to four ruling against Epstein survivor Courtney Wilde that just came in pertaining to the sweetheart deal? Um, I don't know particularly much about that, and I can't really comment on that. Okay. So let us... Do you have anything else to say on the Maxwell-Epstein case before we go over um, to these other cases? No, I think, uh, I think we've covered that. Other than really the, the fact that Channel 4 um, came to see me about the House 60 Stanhope Muse um, East. I think that that house is key to the fact that there could be something that went on earlier when she was being watched because the person who... They the reason they contacted me was because I mentioned a building in that street, and when they came to see me, they mentioned a specific building. They knew a build the same building, but I'd never mentioned the building. So, therefore, other people in that building knew about this. So, I would suggest sixty nine Stanhope Muse East could be something quite important in future revelations about things she did in the past were channel four just picking your brains or are you going to be we're going to see you on channel four here soon um they wanted access to my contact but I, my contact does not wish to be named so it didn't suit got you all right so my parents have just 
sent me the link yesterday for this White House Farm. The White House Farm program. On Netflix. I've watched an episode and so a half. So it was half. an ITV program. Okay. I've watched the first episode and a half. And we have a big American audience, which no doubt are not familiar with the case. Before we go over the, the questions and stuff then, could you just give like a, a summary of the case so, to people who are not familiar so with it? So the, the situation was that there was a family who lived on a farm, um, two adopted children and their parents, and the daughter, the adopted daughter, had two children herself. And um, on an evening in, um, I think it was 1985, the there was a shooting at the farm and the mother, father, sister, and two children died. And um, the, the brother was not present at the property at that time in his statement. And subsequently he was convicted of their murder. All, all, all of their murders. Um, he has been sent to prison with life meaning life, which is the harshest tariff you could ever be given. Um, and there are many elements of this case that don't quite make sense. So the 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 story of the case in the eyes of the prosecution was that the the son Jeremy Bamba was a mendacious grasping person who wanted to inherit a huge fortune um the family owned thousands of acres of land they had caravan parks they were very wealthy um his counter story is that he wasn't present there. His sister had um, mental health issues and that she committed the murders. Um, and there are many issues, if you wish to sum it up, without ruining your viewing of this program, um, with um, the evidence. The evidence was um, somewhat inconclusively well it was tampered some elements of it were tampered with elements of it were taken away by detectives and burnt at their homes um elements were destroyed some things don't make sense whether mr bamber is innocent or guilty i have a view myself that i don't think the case was properly investigated there are many people other than myself the left-wing uh, campaigner um Peter Tatchell, he has supported uh, Jeremy Bamber for many years. The leader of the Green Party has supported him for many years. Um, I have a friend who was a friend of the sister. She takes a view to the contrary. I have other friends who were neighbors of theirs. They have, uh, they have a very different view. I do not know whether Mr. Bamber is innocent or guilty, but my conclusion of everything I've read is that Basically, um, Essex police have mishandled this information and they're 
ought to be some form of retrial and recent evidence without going into all the complications of it, um, and it's very, very detailed, um, there needs to be a reinvestigation into this matter, and it looks possible that there may well be. So my take then, just from watching what I've seen so far, is that the house was locked from the inside. The brother had left a gun laying around. He hadn't put it away properly. And the mentally ill sister was coming. She had been committed and she had, she'd been released, but she was on some strong antipsychotic injections that were being reduced. And we know from uh, shootings in America, stuff like that, coming off medication is a really dangerous time when things can happen. So... The gun, the two little kids, dead, parents, dead. Dad tried to get downstairs. Uh, she was re re reloading the gun, perhaps that she'd run out of bullets. Um, and then she just shot herself twice. Now, I've written a book, Clinton, Bush, and CIA Conspiracies from the Boys on the Tracks of Jeffrey Epstein, which features four interweaving stories, including the story of Gary Webb. And Gary Webb, there are as many conspiracy theories around his, whether he was Epstein or whether it was suicide, because he'd shot himself twice in the head. So, had she shot herself twice in the head? What what where had the bullets well, gone in? Do you know? Well, there were issues with the with the silence. So there were issues of where the gun was found. There are issues, um, but the main the main issue, to be honest, is. Um, the fact that there was a telephone call made from the house by the father saying, my daughter has gone mad with a gun. And and that was at whatever time, say, 11.29. And at 11.31, say, I'm, I'm not giving an exact time, um, the son, Jeremy Bamber, phoned from a place called Goldhanger, which was nearby, it was two miles away, he called the police station also and said, my father's called and said someone's gone mad with a gun. And the, the, those two phone calls, if those two phone calls are proven to be from two locations, he could not have been there. That would actually be one major factor in this. And then the second major factor is um, he then went to the farmhouse at the instructions of the police, and he was there, and they were there for many hours. And during that period, the police officers recorded movements within the building whilst he was stood outside with the police. So if he were the murderer, how could he have committed the murder if somebody else were inside committing the murder? So they are two very key details. And then when the police eventually entered the property, the biggest things are um, the their discrepancies over where the bodies were. At one point, they said there were several bodies on the ground floor. At one point, there was one body. They couldn't remember where the bodies were. And then in this kitchen, the, the big thing in this whole case is all to do with the silence, because if the silencer were fitted to the gun, um, they say that she wouldn't have been able to kill herself with it because it would have made the gun too long. Um, the silencer, the, the police never found at the beginning. 
and then they found it later. And then they found several silencers, and then they can't work out which silencer was which. So this silencer is a problem. And the main the, the, a photo, a photo expert, um, the recent Channel 5 program about this, um, he, he, he illustrated two photographs. The first photograph showed the agar in the kitchen, the oven, with scratch marks around, uh, without scratch marks around it. And the second photograph, which was taken later, had scratch marks. And they claimed that the scratch marks, which caused the red paint to go on the silencer, were indication that Bamba, Jeremy Bamba caused this. And there are so many issues here of, you know, it, things were just, it just does not make sense. And this man has been rotting in prison. And he, he, he clearly did not get a fair trial. I, I, I think whether you, you think the man guilty or not, I do not know whether he committed these crimes or not. I have a friend who went to school with him, and this person really believes in him. I have another friend who was very friendly with the sister, and she thinks the other way. But I, I don't know. But I, all I see, and I, and there's a conservative MP. Um, I, I think his name's Mr. Hunter. I can't remember his Christian name. He, he has supported this. The former leader of the Green Party, this Peter Tatchell. There are many people independently who've looked at this case and said, it just doesn't add up. So originally, the police went in and they determined that it was a murder-suicide but then a CID guy goes in, like equivalent to the FBI, I guess, for, for Americans. And they had the help of a lady called Julie Mugford. Julie Mugford was the girlfriend of um, Jeremy Bamber. Um, she failed to declare that she'd been offered an incentive from the Sun newspaper. She would be paid, I think it was £25,000, which was a lot of money at the time, if he was convicted. And Miss Mugford now lives in Canada and refuses to talk about it, of course. But, um, you know, her evidence and a lot of the stories that she came up with were proven to be lies in court. Yet she was, uh, her evidence was still believed that, that he had tried, it, well, that he committed this murder. And I think there is so much here. And the fact that one policeman took away evidence and burnt it at his own home. Have you ever heard of a policeman taking evidence home? It's quite bizarre. So the CID guy became suspicious when he saw that she'd been shot twice. So in America, I did a concealed weapons permit training by ex-cops, and I interviewed uh, two Tonys, mafia, multiple homicide murderer, who told me all the, you know, all the different ways of executing people. His preference was to go in right here, so he circumvented the skull. If you if you're not like a seasoned killer, you would not know how to commit suicide by, by shooting yourself um, twice in the head because things like the skull can cause the trajectory of bullets to change. The brain stem is like the skinny as a pencil through your neck, and bullets can go in and, and not go through the brain stem. Um, so it's 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 perfectly feasible that she could shot, have shot herself twice. I believe and, from what from and and there were many hours before the police actually raided the house, and there were many hours when movement was detected, 
and these hour during these hours, the person who is in jail was stood outside. So therefore, he could not be the person moving around inside, which would, be, would make it impossible for him to be the killer because nobody left that building when those police raided it. So I've always said that court is theatre. Hmm. And that the state always has the most money to put on the best theatre show. What the hell happened at trial for Jeremy? Well, Jeremy Bamba, rather like the Menendez brothers, who I'm also interested in their case, at the time he suited the narrative. You know, wealthy, uh, son of a wealthy family, um, someone who put on a show of entitlement. He was a bit spoilt, but and he, you know, he had a privileged. Upbringing. He went to public school. He he probably was arrogant, um, but that doesn't mean that you're a mon. That doesn't mean that you're a killer. Um, and Essex Police at that time had a, another case to do with a man who'd murdered his wife. I cannot remember the name, but their case failed. Um, my friend who went to school with Mister Bamba tells me about this often. Um, this man, they failed to convict him. It was another wealthy family, and they wanted a conviction. Just like with the Menendez brothers, they failed um, at that time with the Rodney King riots to do the, the the police failed with that. They failed with the O.J. Simpson case. So it, it suits to get a conviction of somebody, and somebody privileged is a very good person to convict. Now, it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. If you're guilty, you're guilty. And, you know, you should be convicted. But in this particular case, it the, the, the evidence just does not make sense. The sister had mental health issues. The sister had spoken regularly of wanting to do terrible things to her own family. Um, and she was proficient with guns. She knew how to use a gun, and she had she had complexes. There are a lot of the the there were suicide notes that went missing. Lots of evidence went missing from this house. Um, I can go into a lot more detail on another occasion when I I can put my notes in front of me. And um, but I I will say the key details I would say are. The silencer, the um, the paint marks in the kitchen, the fact that he was outside with the police when movement was sighted inside, and finally the telephone calls. The telephone calls, I think, actually are the most important things. Most people think the silencer is more important, but I, I would say the fact that he was two miles away, how can you be the killer when you've called in a shooting, alleged shooting, someone's gone berserk with a gun from one house and your father's called from another address. He cannot be in both locations. It's so common in America now. They say if you ever come across a dead body, don't call the cops because <laughs> you will be at the top of the yep. suspect list. Well, he, he, has, uh, he has been locked up for a very long time and, and he finally has some hope. Um, he has some good supporters. I think he 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 nearly he will he will get somewhere this time. I think this time they have to review 
this evidence. I think this TV show helped, rather like with the Menendez brothers, the program helped. Um, in America, my friend Robert Brand, who is a, a journalist who was involved in the Menendez trial, he he cooperated with that program, the, the true Law and Order True Crime program, and that has got the TikTok generation interested. Now millions of young people are sharing every day the Menendez brothers' story. Before we go to the Menendez brothers, my parents have sent oh. some questions in for, right. for you about... Um, may, I, may I have some water? Jeremy. Right. Yeah. And um, while I look up the questions then, how long has Jeremy served? Um, well, he was... Gosh, well, 1985 was when the murder was. I, d I don't know the exact year. And how is he holding up after all that? Because that is serious institutionalization. Um, well, he, he has had hope taken away from him by um, particularly uh, Michael Howard, as Home, Home Secretary, said life means life for you. Um, and that's... That must be devastating if you're an innocent person, if, whether you're whether you're guilty or not. You know, you you know, if you, if life means life, it's you know you're never getting out of that. And it's like the Menendez; it's the same for them. You know, they've exhausted every line of appeal. They were very lucky because people campaigned for them so that they could be united in jail. He has nobody. Who does he have? You've already answered the first question that came from my parents. Do you have doubts about Jeremy's conviction? Second is, do you think Sheila committed the crimes? Um, I don't know who committed the crimes, but I think it's highly likely that it would have been her. Oh, this one goes off to, um, who do you think is responsible for Stuart Lubbock's death? Um, I think the 50-year-old man. Do you like Tanqueray? Tanqueray's a very good everyday gin. I like Tanqueray, yes. <laughs> um, I like number three gin, which is my friend's gin, probably the best, which is the only gin created by somebody who's got a PhD in gin. And then I'd say that's the only useful degree in the world. Um, so if you want a good gin, I'd say number three, which is the Berry Brothers' own gin. Um, that's one of my favorites. Um, yeah, I like Beefeater gin. I like uh, Martin Miller's gin. Um, I have a friend called uh, Matthew Gilpin. He makes gin, which is very good as well. It's 55%. Quite a nice strong gin. I'm sure your parents would like that. Yes, they suspected you had quite refined taste in gin, actually. We had a <laughs> no conversation about this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we were segueing over to Menendez Brothers' case. This is so long ago. Can you just give a little summary then to people who are not familiar? Um, so the Menendez case concerned... Um, a very wealthy family in California. Um, the parents, uh, the father was from Mexico originally, and he became very successful as a businessman. He, he even employed O.J. Simpson as one of his um, stars to advertise his products. Uh, in, uh, um, <laughs> the, man, the man was very, very controlling. His wife had an addiction to, as many of these wealthy People at that time did to prescription um, drugs, um, and um, they had two children, and they were very controlling of their children. The children had um, the children were 
sent to the best schools. They had, they were expected to excel at everything they did, sports, and they were very good at tennis. And um, anyway, they these children were controlled by their parents. Um, and gradually, as the children got older, the children, like any child, would want to become independent, and um, the parents didn't want that. That is the public accepted version of things. The children allege, the two sons, that their father particularly and their mother also abused them um, from when they were very, very young. And their control was more about their abuse. Um, and ultimately, in in 1980, was it 89, I think, or 88, uh, they shot... They shot their parents in a very brutal way, and they they killed them. At first, they it was suggested that the mob committed the crime, and you know the father had enemies, and and eventually, you know, the the, the one brother went off to Israel and went to play tennis, and he was brought back, and the other the other one the other one was a lot weaker, and he. He he kept quiet, and they 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 bought watches, and they bought Porsches, and they bought a restaurant, and anyway, they they were presented to the media as two greedy brothers that wanted to get their inheritance, and they responded by saying, when they were put on trial, that they were abused. What kind of abuse? They were sexually abused by both mother and father. Mm. There were holes in the ceiling of the house from where the father, the, where the, the, the parents used to watch what would go on, and um, and and their argument ultimately, and there were two trials. Um, the first trial collapsed, was that you know that these parents were so controlling. They said, "If you leave, we will kill you." Why did the first trial collapse? Um, I think it was because of. It was just mismanagement. I think the whole thing was very mismanaged. Um, but at the time, the justice system there wanted results because O.J. Simpson's the O.J. Simpson case was a mess. The there was the um, Rodney King riots, and these these lawmakers there. And if you watch the program Law and Order: True Crime, which is actually a very very good. Um, I think it's six parts, a very good analysis of this case for somebody who's who doesn't know about it. I would say it's a very good place to start. Um, these these people, these two brothers, were supported at their trials by their aunt, their uncles, their cousins. They all said these people have been abused, and yet they were still convicted. Wow. And... Yes, they did something wrong. They did something terribly wrong, and they regret it. They say they always say, "We shouldn't have killed our parents," but we didn't know what else to do. We we, we couldn't escape them. How old were they when it happened? They were they were you know seventeen, eighteen years mm. old. You know they're young people, and it's it's terrible how they have been incarcerated. You know, there's a, a lady who I know of, Jane Andrews, who stabbed her husband, her fiance, to death. She was the dresser to the Duchess of York. Coming back to that 
that's that's murky, mucky collection. And Jane Andrews stabbed a man to death. And she sat there and watched him die for four hours. And she she went on the run. She did terrible things. She went to prison, even though she escaped from prison once. She never got any extra time. She only served 12 years. They have been in prison, these two brothers, 28 years. And for 28 years, I think it's probably long, longer now, it's nearly 30 years. And for that time, they... Ne they never got to. E they were never even allowed to have a phone call with one another. The heartlessness of the American system, compared to the way Jane Andrews, a, a heartless murderer, and this woman is roaming the streets now. And I, I fear what Jane Andrews could do in the future. I do not defend every murderer on the planet. I think <sighs> this this woman, Jane Andrews, is a danger to the to society. Whereas these two brothers were abused. Their aunt said so, their uncle, their cousins, friends. Yes, the, the evil psychiatrist who you'll see in the program, who was a manipulator, and he's shown to be a manipulator in the program. He he said to the contrary, but but he was an unreliable witness. I have a friend, um, I don't, I've never actually met this man, but we correspond a lot, called Robert Rand, and he was one of the main journalists. There were two main journalists. There was him and there was a, another gentleman called Dominic Dunn, who was a very famous Vanity Fair correspondent. Dominic Dunn naturally went on the side of victims because his own daughter had been murdered by her. her she had a boyfriend who was a chef, and he, he killed her in the most gruesome fashion. And he became a correspondent for Vanity Fair about the crimes of rich and famous people. And he decided the narrative for Vanity Fair. He's now dead. And Robert Rand is still alive. And Robert Rand has been very courageous and has continued to campaign for these two brothers for 28 years. And they're now in the same prison. The, the program happened. And now suddenly, the weird thing, social media has actually done something good for once, because I think mostly social media is quite antisocial. He this TikTok generation have started sharing this story and now people are really interested in it and it's getting attention for it. And I think now is the time that um, their case should be revisited. Again, it's, it's just a case that, you know, if, if they, were, they were judged on people's perceptions in 1989, you know, a very different time. People who are abused now are treated very differently. I think people who are abused deserve a voice, and they were abused, and that's the only thing that they deserve is the right to have another hearing. So you wrote an interesting article. Then they'd been separate in the system, and then they were reunited in the system. But someone mailed one of them weed, which is a violation yes. of policy, which causes you automatically to be moved. So one was elsewhere. put into the hole, yes, and. Um, and ultimately, that was overthrown, and they, then you know, they, there are people who don't like them, and of course, there must be somebody out there who is very anti them. And you've been in contact with the governor of California over this. I have been in contact with um, Gavin Newsom. I have, um, I know his family very well um, from when he was the mayor of San Francisco. Um, he doesn't respond to me directly about it, but uh, 
I'm hopeful one day he will. Okay, so you, is there anything else you want to add on the Menendez brothers? I think that's I think that's enough for now. But okay, all right. So you touched on the Lubbock case. Let's just recap what happened there, because you are fighting for justice for Terry. Well, Terry Terry Lubbock is a man who who is dying sadly of terminal cancer. Um, his his son was murdered at the home of Michael Barrymore on the 10th of March, 2001. Um, there were a number of people present, and one of those people, more likely two, because it, it could only have been carried out by two people, they suggest, committed this crime. Um, he didn't drown in the swimming pool. The um, pathologist has now been brought under investigation over other cases because he... Um, seems to be rather incompetent. Um, his allegation that the victim drowned now seems totally unlikely, and well, it's it's been discredited. And um, a, a fifty-year-old man has been arrested. Um, there was only one person that could possibly be, um, and. Um, he had been arrested on a previous occasion if it's the same person, um, unless there were other people present who Michael Barrymore and friends have covered up for, which is a possibility. But um, two items of evidence went missing from that home. There was a thermometer and there was a door handle. And um, the agent of Michael Barrymore equally is someone who appeared before the police and things went missing. But the most remarkable things are that at f the, the neighbors heard screaming at 5 a.m., but nobody called the police till 5.46 a.m. Um, I know some of your followers have criticized me for saying that this house wasn't a mansion. It is not a mansion, it is a bungalow. It is a small house on a small plot of land which overlook, it's an L-shaped property. The windows all overlook this pool area. From the, the, There is no way that these people wouldn't have seen what was going on. Um, and that is why when people call it a mansion, which, you know, the Sun newspaper likes to exaggerate and call a, you know, it's not a, it's not, it's not Blenheim Palace. It's, it's a small, it's a, it's a big, it's a, you know, it's an expensive house, but, but that house, um, those people knew what was going on there. And one of those people, two of those people, carried out this killing. And more than two of those people know what happened because they would have heard noises and they would have seen things. And this man, Terry Lubbock, and the his... Uh, the victim, Stuart Lubbock's ex-wife, Sue Homan, would like justice for their relative before this poor man dies. And he has been prepared to do this, whereas Michael Barrymore has called himself a victim. He said, I've had 20 years of being a victim. Well, no, he hasn't. He has made £60,000 appearing on Piers Morgan's channel. Um, the life stories where he cried and made himself out to be, you know, he's the wronged party. 
the only wrong party are is the man who's dead, his children, his father, and their relatives. So Stuart had severe internal injuries from some kind of abuse. You said he wasn't drowned. Was it those injuries that, that caused his death? I would believe so. He was he was definitely drugged. Um, he wasn't a known drug user, but you know, people they went to a party. Goodness knows what happened at that party, but um, he didn't go to that party to get himself killed. Um, the ex-wife does say, um, you know, in those times, this is pre the social media generation. He was in a nightclub with his brother and they ran into a man who was a television star and the television star says, come to a party at my house. And he, he was starstruck. Um, now that might now sound ridiculous and you might think, well, why would you do that? But this is a different era. It's 2001. Um, he went there and, but did he go there to, to be killed? No, he didn't willingly go there for that. He was a family person. He, he was, he was assaulted and raped and killed at that home by two people. Now. There were two ladies there. It can't have been them because they can't have done that. Um, Michael Barrymore denies all knowledge of anything, but his stories about you know what he saw and when he left and what, what he did don't make sense, but that doesn't mean he's a killer. But somebody there committed this murder. And as Essex police, a, a police force that you know I keep bringing up, um, they they are rightly doing the right thing here now. They're saying somebody knows, and one of you has to talk. And this man is still under investigation. This fifty year old invest he was arrested in Cheshire, um, and I think finally somebody has to speak because it must weigh on their mind. But don't the consequences for themselves weigh on their mind even heavier? which hmm. therefore will keep them from not speaking. Well, I I think this will only get worse for them because the, the reward is getting bigger and bigger. Um, the family were able to get a very good barrister to help them. They are, they, they are finally getting a voice out there. And again, this comes back to, like, like with the Menendez case, Social media has really helped. So Twitter has really helped that family. And I think that every day there are people that are out there. They're not connected to these people, but they 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 remind people of it. They're rather like with there are people who are very interested in the McCann case. And they they tweet about it every day and they go on Facebook and they talk about it and there's groups. And rather like with your channel. Um, when these things are highlighted again and again, people get interested in it. And then these people in the authorities, the law, they start to have to listen. And in this case, um, it's been dead for 20 years. It was 20 years ago last month that that poor man was murdered in that house that belongs to Michael Barrymore. You know, and as the sister, as the ex-wife said, 
everyone talks about my, the Michael Barrymore case. It wasn't the Michael Barrymore case. It was the murder of Stuart Lubbock. And people should remember that. And now, finally, people are talking about it. And before this poor man dies, he deserves justice. What's the Mark Alexander case? Um, well, Mark Alexander is a, a young man who um, had a very odd father. Um, they lived in um, near Milton Keynes, and they um, his mother he thought was dead, but he didn't know. But um, she was actually alive, and this father was very controlling, and he went to university at the University College London, and he he tried to lead a good life. He was a law student, and he uh, he he had this difficult relationship with his father, and he he got a girlfriend and he moved into a flat with her i think on fleet street and um the father didn't like this and the father didn't like many things but the father was a very odd person i think he was egyptian by origin and um he he had multiple identities um he lived in a, you know, a, he lived in a house that you would, you would think would be on, you know, some midsummer murders or something. <laughs> in the end, it was, you know, a, a quiet cul-de-sac and where where people snitched at the curtains, and the, the curtain snitches were ultimately what caused the problems for this young man. Um, but he, his his father would not speak to people for months on end. He would disappear. Um, but meanwhile, he was running, and again, it's all around the time social media and dating sites and things became prevalent, and nobody knows quite what this man was doing on all these things, but he was running a con against lots of people, and he had multiple identities. Anyway, this man ultimately um, was, well, eventually... Nobody saw him for a long while, and eventually a body was found under the under the patio. You know, a bit like you know the Brookside Close story. And um, this man, um, the neighbours claimed all sorts of things had gone on, and and anyway, the, the son ultimately went to prison. Um, and without any forensic evidence linking him to this case, any mobile phone records linking him to being in the area when any of these things could have happened. Um, it's a very, very complicated story. But the fact is, nobody ever looked into what this father was doing. And this young man has been convicted again, on the basis of evidence that it just doesn't make sense because there is no evidence. Um, it's all circumstantial. Mostly it's the neighbours who said, oh, we, he didn't like his father. He, he, 
he wanted to escape him. It was that kind of thing. It was very Midsummer Murders. Hearsay. Hearsay evidence. And um, a gentleman called Terry Waite, who was a hostage in Beirut, um, has highlighted and has visited him many times. And he, he and Mark Alexander got a degree within prison. And Terry Waite went to, to support him with that. And um, he continues to deny his innocence. If he had accepted guilt, he would be out by now. He refuses to do this. Um, he wants a review of his case. And I think it doesn't make it's a case that just it doesn't make it's one that doesn't make sense because without the forensic evidence and the fact that nobody ever investigated this father and now the mobile phone records have been so he was one of the first people with, through freedom of information requests able to gain um evidence subsequently so he changed managed to change the situation there he has been able to gain a lot of information that he is using towards an appeal but he he could be out of prison now if he just admits his guilt and he doesn't want to so either he's completely crazy or something's crazy with the system something's definitely crazy with the system so are you going to be doing an update on um, him on I, well he Steeple's is times he he is his his cousin has sent me a number of documents and um when i'm allowed i should be going hopefully to visit him if i if he's willing for me to visit him um i would like to go and visit him and talk to him further oddly enough our first guest today was linda calvey female armed robber known as the black widow oh yes i've heard of her. yes she did seven years for armed robbery which she was fully guilty of but then they put um put a murder on her that she hadn't done yes. And, and gave her seven for that, but because she wouldn't ever admit that she'd done it, she ended up serving eighteen years. Yes, well, this is the problem with the system. You, you know, that the, the, there is a lot of injustice out there, and uh, you know, they they try and manipulate people into saying things that they haven't done. And in the case of Mark Alexander, the poor young man was probably terrified. He was a young person, and he he had he did do some silly things like for example i think he sent a christmas card to the neighbors from him and his father in the period when the father was missing but nobody knew the father was missing and he just sent a christmas card because his father regularly disappeared so they suggested that he did that out of nefarious means but these things are surely not enough to convict someone of being a killer. And that's what, you know, I think is most unfair in his case. Um, the Mirror newspaper have been particularly good supporting him um, and investigating this. They're not backing him, but they, they, they have been fair. There are newspapers out there that are fair. Um, you know, you can get somebody to help you. And it's, I think in, that, in his case, that's the best, option he's had thus far um you know jeremy bamba it's a lot harder because he is presented as a monster he's an evil monster and he's a money-grabbing person who who wants to steal you know from his family he would have inherited it anyway hmm. and that's 
but the the, the, the Essex police it suited their narrative. Um, and I think you know in the Menendez case the same thing. It's it's very very bizarre. There are plenty of people out there like this woman Jane Andrews. Jane Andrews was a monster, and Jane Andrews was deservedly sent to prison, and then she escaped. And then she still refused to admit she did anything wrong. And now she's out there again. She's living in in Grimsby, I believe. And she's been she was sent back to jail for harassing other people. Um, there are people who are very bad. And they deserve to be dealt with by the system. But these people who are innocent or potentially innocent at least deserve fairness and a fair hearing. The tragedy of innocent people who are found guilty at trial is when they go for sentencing and insist they're innocent still, mm. the judge classifies you as remorseless yes, yes. and gives you the maximum sentence. Yes, and then you get then you get punished even more. But but the likes of Jane Andrews, Jane Andrews all the way along said she was innocent and even even when 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 she was being released, you know, before she was released, she still refused to admit any any culpability, and you know she escaped prison, and still she got no extra time for escaping prison, and she then sold things that belonged to her victim, and recently there was a television program about her and. I, I will say it, this woman is dangerous and she potentially could do something again. Whereas someone like this Mark Alexander, he he's been convicted without anything other than circumspect evidence of the neighbors, the neighbors. It's quite shocking. So what's up with the Luke Durbin disappearance? Well, this this particular case is involving Suffolk police and um, um, this young man um, went on a night out with his friends and was never seen again. The only sighting of him was he went to a taxi office where after he'd been to a nightclub with his friends um, and he couldn't afford to pay for the taxi. So the taxi driver, the taxi office said, you know, they, they could have said, you know, when you get to home, get your mother to pay. Um, but no, they sent him away and he walked down the street and the only thing that has been connected to it is a Volvo car, which had fake registration plates on it. And he's never been seen again. Did he have enemies? Um, he potentially had connections within, you know, minor drug dealing. But... I don't think that's enough to have somebody disappeared and killed. And he came, his mother has become, um, she's very involved in the missing people. She's on the help, she, she's on the helpline telephones. And she would just like to find, find out what happened to her son. But there's no, like anybody in that situation, they'd just like to have a body. You know, you, if you don't have a body, you can't have closure. So there's a possibility that he is a victim of the insane drug wars. We had a, a client, yes. um, we had a guest on today who said uh, it was a thousand pound debt, mm. 
and the guy's house got set on fire, killing the kids and the family and everything, just over a thousand pounds, which is again part of the insane um, drug laws and the war on drugs. It should all be legalized no, and totally, regulated. Totally, well, I, 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 think, I think the, the situation with drugs in this country is insane. I agree with much of what you say. It's, it's illogical that, you know, these things that you, they, they, they ought to be regulated. If they were regulated, you take away the evil person, which is the, the criminal who's the drug dealer who controls the other people who are the desperado people who are reliant on them. And it does make a lot of sense, doesn't it? Really? So you, you piqued my interest earlier. You mentioned Rolf Harris. What was your involvement with the Rolf Harris case? Um, well, with, with Rolf Harris, um, I met Rolf Harris a number of times really? um, and his wife, very strange woman. Um, she, she has all these beads in her hair and she's quite an extraordinary looking woman. Um, Mr. Harris, uh, um, yeah, he exhibited artwork at a friend of mine's art gallery. Um, he sold his artwork for a lot of money. Um, uh, he knew a lot of people I knew socially and, uh, I didn't know him well, but, uh, he, he, he's quite, a, he, 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 he was quite a social person. You know, he was very friendly with Scylla Black. She was extraordinarily upset when he was convicted. If you remember, I don't know whether you saw the, she was leaving the Ivy restaurant and she, she got very angry when she was confronted. Um, Miss Black was, she's another, poor, she's no longer with us, but she was a curious woman. Anyway, um, there were people like her, the, he was very friendly with, um, lots of, you know, he painted the queen. He, anyway, he, I was contacted um, at the time when Jimmy Savile was um, exposed for being what he was when he was dead by a, a lady who claimed to be a victim of Rolf Harris. And she was one of the people who helped secure his convictions. Um, so, no, Rolf Harris, I, I was very interested in following that case and Equally, the fact that his daughter, rather like Max Clifford, who I also knew, um, and his daughter, who his daughter threatened to sue me at one point. Um, she said I damaged her reputation by mentioning the fact that she bought the goodwill of his business. And these two, I just thought, were very appalling, self-entitled abusers. And... And weirdly, those kind of people all connect back to the people currently supporting this Maxwell. We are we're talking the same era of people. They're all the 80s, 90s people. And they thought they were above the law. And I think what we have to now realize is those people are not above the law. And this actually the, the benefits of this social media and the modern world is people can connect the dots and people like the gentleman ryan um who was on your show the other awesome. evening ryan dawson he uh he's good at connecting the dots you have to have people like that 
and the links between Rolf Harris and Max Clifford, Rolf Harris as uh, Max Clifford and Owen Oyston, um, Stuart Hall, all of these people were the same circuit. Um, they were all directors of the same companies. Is Simon Cowell in the mix? I think Simon Cowell, Simon Cowell was a friend of Max Clifford. Um, it doesn't make him guilty of anything. I don't, I don't know what Simon Cowell has many interesting things in his past, but I don't believe he's involved in that myself, but I don't know. I have no idea. So you said that they all thought they were untouchable from that era, this, this click one did prove to be untouchable and that is Jimmy Savile. How was he able to get um, away with it for so long? Well, Jimmy Savile was clever because he made sure he had friends in every element. So Jimmy Savile had what he called his Monday club. They were the police officers that came round to his flat in Leeds. Jimmy Savile had Margaret Thatcher, who tried to get him ennobled, I think it was 14 times or something. Every time her advisors said no. But he kept pestering her. Jimmy Savile had access to Broadmoor. Jimmy Savile had Edwina Curry. Jimmy Savile had Prince Charles. Jimmy Savile had everybody. He found his way because he was clever. He knew that if he knew somebody in every circuit, he'd always have a way out. He'd go, well, he and anytime, when he was questioned by Louis Farouk in that car, when they were driving in Scotland, um, he was asked, um, have you, you know, people say things about you. He said, they can say whatever they want about me. He said, if they say any more, I'll bring them all down. Wow. And that was, and you watch, watch the Louis Farouk program. I, I advise you to see it. And you will see him say that in the back of a car. And he was open. He was open about everything he did. He was a, he just thought that you know, he could just carry on regardless. And people like Max Clifford enabled these people with their fake stories. So Max Clifford would trade a story. That recent program on the BBC or Channel 4, whatever it was, I don't know why they showed it, it was pointless, said, oh, you know, he just, he just did this and he did that and he did. No, he traded X to protect Y. They knew that that was their game. They actually viewed it as a game. So they all worked together. So if you look at this man, Owen Oyston, he owned Blackpool Football Club. He owned Miss World. He married the Miss World twice. She's currently divorced, divorcing him for the second time. He went to prison for rape. He was the biggest donor to the Labour Party in the 80s. The board of his company, Stuart Hall, um, you know, another one who went to prison. Um, um, William Roach, who was accused, but the, the Coronation Street actor. Um, who was the other? There was another one. And Max Clifford was his PR man. They all worked together. They were all photographed together. They all supported one another. And this is how Jimmy Savile operated. He, the, the same reason was because we can. And Jimmy Savile couldn't have existed now because there would have been some 
person on the internet saying, no, 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 no. And eventually somebody would have to listen. Um, I don't think he could have got away with it in this era. But back then he had the police, he had royalty, he had politicians, he had business people, he had BBC, he had everything. So did Savile prey on fans, young girls? He preyed on everybody, dead or, dead or alive. What do you mean by that? Well, he 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 liked visiting the morgue. Is that yeah, he been was verified? Yeah, um, it's been reported on many occasions. He loved visiting the, the morgue. And what would he do in the morgue? Terrible things, supposedly. But um, but he did terrible things to poor. There were victims who complained who'd been suffering in hospitals who'd got cancer. He'd abused them. He didn't care. Young, old man, woman, boy, girl. He was he was unique in that sense because he was, you know, Jeffrey Epstein liked young girls. Jimmy Savile just liked anything. That that's the difference with these. Do you think he just got sicker and sicker over time because what he was doing in the beginning perhaps didn't get him off anymore, and it just got weirder and weirder? I couldn't. I wouldn't want to even go. <laughs> I I have no idea why he would. I mean, to say the morgue and things like that's pretty extreme, isn't it? But that's what he did. It, it seems like you'd, you'd be looking, you'd need more and more weirder and weirder to get off, perhaps. Um, well, I think maybe the power complex went to his head. And, you know, he was given the keys to Broadmoor by Edwina Curry. She allowed him freed, free reign to go and visit a mental hospital. Why would you do that with a, a television presenter who made sort of sick jokes and jumped up and down and went running and had a bed in the back of his Range Rover. He had a double bed in his Range Rover. He had a van with a, a bed in it. This, this man was very, very odd. And he was excused because nobody dared not excuse him. You know, Esther Ranson, why didn't she say anything? You know, there are many people out there who could have asked questions, but because of this man being some national treasure. I mean, there's even a video of him on top of the pops on YouTube right now where he just puts his yep. hand. Up the skirt of anybody. Yeah, and she jumps. Yep. So, you know, why did the BBC protect this predator? Um, because they created the monster and they didn't want to destroy them. If they destroyed their... Their, their cash cow, then it would look very stupid on them. I guess. I don't know. But it's, I think now it's much more transparent because of social media. I think the world has changed because, frankly, information spreads quicker. So back then, he, he could just go, well, talk to my friend Prince Charles. Or he could have gone, well, talk to my friend Edwina Curry, or talk to my friend Margaret Thatcher, or he could have named, talk to my friend the policeman. And that's how he was able, he, 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 was a, he was a genius in some ways, because evil genius, but that man had a monstrous brain, and he obviously had a, he just, he probably didn't even care what he was doing by the end, he just, just wanted to do it for the sake of it. He, power complex, it's just, 
he was an thoroughly evil man who was enabled by people just looking the other way. And because he raised so much money for charity, did that give him a pass in the public eye? Well, I guess that helped. But that was just part of another part of his his way of stopping things. But but look at you know we look at Rolf Harris now. Rolf Harris got out of prison, and what did Rolf Harris go and do? He went to a, a school playground and started waving at the children. No, no. Yeah, so in in uh, in Henley or wherever it is, he was waving at the children. And they they are so delusional. These people, they actually still think they're famous and relevant. You know, Gary Glitter, all these people. They all the time they're in prison. They're making money because people Rolf playing Harris, the music. Yes, so Rolf Harris makes money from all those tunes of his. Um, Gary Glitter, you know that film, The Joker. The the, the music was Gary Glitter's music. That's the most recent one, is it? Yes. So oh, so anyone who watches that film is supporting Gary Glitter. Oh, that's a shame. It was a good um, film too. Yeah, <laughs> but that's that's where you where where we get up to. It's uh yeah. it's quite unbelievable how these people are enabled. But we we are partly responsible ourselves for allowing this to happen. Yeah. You know, we if we say we don't want to hear these people anymore, uh, you know the the likes of Rolf Harris should be turned off. Um, there are people who I know of who owned Rolf Harris paintings and they wanted to sell them. And the auctioneer said, burn them. <laughs> Best thing you can do. Who wants that rubbish? And it was rubbish anyway. It was a, Nobody ever liked his paintings in the first place. <laughs> do you have any Savile questions, James, for Matthew? Is, is Ben trying to, did you want to come back in, Ben? Uh, Have you got anything, James? Thing about Tony Blackburn being sacked uh, by the BBC after the Savile inquiry, and uh, do you know anything about there was a girl that committed suicide in the early seventies? Yes, there were. Well, there were many other people who were accused subsequently, and those people, some of whom were telling the truth, and some weren't, and some of those people were wrongly accused. I won't go into detail on the one who I think got away with it, but that's another matter. But um, of course, people jump on the bandwagon. There are terrible people who invent stories. I get people when I when I got involved with Rolf Harris's case, I had twenty two people write to me saying they were victims of Rolf Harris. I believed ultimately about ten of them. Rather like with 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 Max Clifford, the reason he was convicted was because those women that told the truth were clearly able to tell the truth. Maybe the others may have been telling the truth. The ones that were credible all said one thing, and they were not connected to one another. They all said, this man has a small penis. Now, how can you have five people all say the same thing who don't know one another. You see, that's that's what these cases had to be judged by was something credible because they are historic. The evidence is so long ago, so you can't believe everything. Some of the people that said things about Rolf Harris, like he went to a school in Oxford on a certain date, well, he wasn't there. So that that person was sadly either they got the date wrong or they were very much mistaken. 
And, um, but the people that Rolf Harris's daughter, for example, brought home, and they were friends of the, the daughter, and the daughter disowned him, but then and wrote him letters calling him all the names under the sun, but then came and supported him at the trial because she wanted to keep her fortune. And she very clearly did. Um, those people were more credible. Um, you know, the same with Max Clifford. It was, it was, they were brought to his office. They, they knew certain things. They, the, the, the dates made sense. Some of these other people, it was purely speculative. And of course, whenever you're accused of something, somebody else can come out of the woodwork and make something up. And there are a lot of very sick people who make things up, I'm afraid. And um, that's all I can say about that, I'm afraid. Any, any other Savile questions? Okay. Grand finale, then, is Madeleine McCann. Uh, well, the McCanns uh, is a is a another very interesting case. Um, I I became involved in that because I I knew the former ambassador to Washington and his wife who ran a, cha a charity for missing and abducted children, um, and the ambassador's wife her she claimed that her two sons were abducted by her ex husband. And she's now reunited with them. Um, I don't speak to them for my own reasons. But um, anyway, they had this charity. She's now a baroness. Um, she was ennobled by Theresa May. She was Theresa May's um, advisor for a long time. Um, and he, he ran the Press Complaints Commission for a number of years. But um, they had this charity, which... Uh, was to do with missing and abducted children, and they supported Jerry and Kate McCann, and that's how I came to meet them. And I spent a bit of time with those two, and I have to say I question why that they get so much money. I think it's wrong that one missing child gets £12.5 million, whereas... Um, other people I know who have missing children who I speak to get nothing. Um, it's very odd, that case. And, I, and that case is one of those generational cases that captures the nation's spirit. So if you go back a few years before then, it was the Jamie Bulger case. The media sees upon a case. Where, and it was at the end of the... It was the end of Tony Blair's government, the beginning of Gordon Brown's. It was May 2007, and that child became a thing that Rebecca Brooks, who was about to face phone hacking, all sorts of else, decided she would seize upon as a case. And I have very strong views about press regulation cases, and that's another story, but um, the media, it suited their agenda to have this case. And it has suited everybody ever since because every every politician attached themselves to the McCann case. If, if anybody were to be found guilty now, other than 
some nefarious person, like the man who has been accused, who has never been even charged with anything, even though they've spent a year spinning this, and they began spinning this at the height of the coronavirus epidemic. Um, it would bring embarrassment to a lot of very famous people. Richard Branson, Philip Green, all of these people supported the McCanns. The McCanns, if they had been ordinary people, would not have been supported. They were doctors. They didn't they paid for childcare in the daytime. They didn't pay for childcare at night. They left the door of their apartment, which was not going into the complex, onto the road, open. This child has disappeared. It has never been found. There was no ransom. None of it makes sense. Yet the police do not close the investigation like they did with the Ben Needham case. So a, a poor lady of working class origin and who whose child went missing in Greece, they did nothing to help her. She had to do it all herself. These two get all the help in the world and they sue police officers in Greece. They claim the the the, um, the British cat of our dogs were a load of rubbish. Um, there are a number of questions that Mr. and Mrs. McCann have to answer. I have a, I have them on my, my website. I think I have five questions. I should have written them down. But, um, you know, one of them, you know, why... Why did Mr. and Mrs. McCann pay for the childcare during the day, but not at night? Why? Why did they? Um, why did they go for a run the next morning when their child's gone missing? Why did they go and play tennis? You know, why did they allow the fund that was meant to be helping their child, the public money, which is on top of this twelve and a half million, to pay the mortgage on their house? Um, why did they wipe the records of their phones um, shortly after they, before they were questioned? Why did they refuse to answer the police's questions? There are many, many questions this couple could have answered. They didn't cooperate. Now, it doesn't mean that they're guilty of anything, but it means that they haven't helped. Their Tapper 7 haven't helped. And... Why are they getting all these resources? Why doesn't any other missing child? And I, I, I deal with a man called Kevin Allen. Um, his brother went didn't disappeared in 1979. He his father was a chauffeur at the an embassy in Kemp, Kensington, and he was seen being snatched at Earl's Court Station allegedly by a man who looked remarkably like a certain Conservative MP. Well. Nobody's ever proven that that happened, but that is one possible outcome. But his family got no help. And before his before this poor boy's mother died, she went on Radio 4 and she said, I feel sorry for the McCanns, but why does nobody help me? I've had no help. And that is my big problem with the McCann case. And equally with cases like this young man, Luke Durbin, you know, his mother is out there campaigning for justice. What help does she get? There are thousands of people who go missing, yet the McCanns get every year reallocated resources. Every time it's another 200,000. But nothing has ever come of this. And 
look at the people who've been involved with the McCanns. What did the McCanns do? They went off to see the Pope. They went off to see Barack Obama. And her book is all about, we did this, we did that. It's not about the child. These other people I meet are obsessed with finding justice. And Mr. and Mrs. McCann have moved the circus on. They like suing people, like the police officer, Amaral. Um, he won his case. He, he has beaten them. They still haven't paid him. And I think it is wrong that this couple continue to be allocated resources at a time of scarce resources when other people perhaps deserve support also. What's your thoughts on the abduction theory? Um, I think that that child, um, the evidence would suggest that child probably died in that apartment because there is there was the scent of death in the cupboard. There was some blood splatter on the walls. And then, of course, there is the hire car, which there was a scent of death in that. But, of course, Mr. and Mrs. McCann suggest that um, those dogs are incompetent. But those dogs were British dogs, not Portuguese dogs. And they, they have a problem with the Portuguese police, who they, they called them third world, which I don't think the Portuguese police are third world. Um, they seem perfectly legitimate and capable of solving other crimes. So um, I think the the case of the German um, Christian B or Christian Brockner or whatever he's called, um, they haven't been able to find anything on him. He was brought up at the beginning of the coronavirus lockdown. It suited the government to have a distraction from you know, the fact that Dominic Cummings was going off, you know, not having an eye test in... Uh, in Barnard Castle, um, it, it, it deflected on the headlines. M m whenever there seems to be a problem, they bring up McCann. So are you leaning towards that there was some kind of accident and a I I don't know what play. happened, but I think probably I think probably an accident occurred in that house. I don't know. I mm. think the most likely thing was it was an accident and somebody knows something and. We'll probably never know. But the fact that nobody with all these rewards has ever come forward would suggest to me somebody would have talked. You know, at one point, the Sun were offering $2 million. There were plenty of rewards on the table. Now, if there were criminal traffickers stealing this child and the child had had the eye defect, the child would have been identified. And occasionally you get these stories in the newspaper which says, oh, I spotted Madeleine in the supermarket in Germany. Or I spot and those stories are never never named. No one ever brings up the name of the person. It's I spotted Elvis. Yeah. yeah <laughs> it, it, you know, she could have come in on Shergar the Racehorse. Um <laughs> she could be, you know, it's it it is it is ridiculous. I think sadly that child probably is dead, which is tragic for the child um, and for the parents. If they're, you know, it's tragic for everybody. But I don't see why this story continues to be given the funding and attention it's given when there are thousands of other missing people who get nothing. It is disproportionate and it's unfair 
to other people, such as this Allen family, the Needham family, you know, the Durbin family, all these people deserve help, but they don't get any. But Mr. and Mrs. McCann got parties in Downing Street, courtesy of Theresa May via this lady, um, via this lady mayor. Um, and then Lady Mayor gets uh, put into the House of Lords. You know, it's uh, they're a nice little club. How does the disappearance of a child become a self-perpetuating industry? Well, in the case of these people, they they began with a book, and they began with, you know, we went on uh, net jets courtesy of Philip Green, and we went on, we went out with Richard Branson, and we met the Pope, and we did this and. We did the TV shows, and gradually, I think the child becomes forgotten. There's also that case in America, the um, the, the beauty queen, Jean Louis, Bonnet, Jean right, Bonnet. Yeah. and again, it becomes becomes more about the other parties, the act, the other, the sideline parties to this, as opposed just to the the victim, and the victim gets forgotten, and that's exactly coming back to Stuart Lubbock. That is exactly what the the, the ex wife said to me. She said. Thank you for mentioning in your headlines the victim. It's not about the murderer or the accused. It is about the victim. It's about Madeleine McCann. It's about Stuart Lubbock. It's about the victims of Ghislaine Maxwell. It's not about, okay, we can't name the victims of Ghislaine Maxwell yet, but, but when they can be named, they deserve, they deserve to be named, and it, you know, if they wish to be named. But... We forget in this system the victim, and I think we do so at our peril. Wow. What an amazing two-plus hours with Matthew Steeples of thesteeplestimes.com. Link will be in the description box. Matthew said he has so much more to say on all these cases. I've been reading his articles. Very well-researched, fascinating so if you do want to get more details of these cases, I urge people to go to thesteeplestimes.com. And Matthew is active on the socials. If you want to harangue him, praise him, send him weird messages, threats. Um... Well, we get some nice messages too. <laughs> we have plenty of good friends. <laughs> it's Twitter you're active on, isn't it? Uh, I, I, I tend to use Twitter more than anything else myself. Yes. Okay. Yep. Hold off on the threats. Nice stuff only, please. So he's been very generous with his time this evening. Let's support his work. Those links will be in the description box. Huge thank you to Joe and James for doing free podcasts today. I said it would never happen again. But Ash double booked and forced the action. So let's all blame Ash in the Philippines for that one. Huge thank you to the new subscribers. Subscription logo is in the bottom corner of the screen. And huge thank you to people who have gone down the description box and clicked on our socials and all and all the rest of it. And I shall be giving this to my parents, this this uh, generous gift from Matthew. And um, they really do love their wines. So um, shout out to them. And for thank you, Mum and Dad, for the questions this evening. Well, cheers to your parents, and uh, yes. pleasure to have met you. Are you a hugger or a handshaker? <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> cheers, yeah, thanks very much. Well done. Absolutely brilliant.